ever heard that expression, the writing is on the wall? It's the kind of thing your doctor says when he discovers something's really wrong with you and you only have a few months left to live. It's also the kind of thing that your high school teacher tells you when you fail to do your homework and it's too late to fix your grades before the end of the semester. Or maybe the writing is on the wall when your marriage is falling apart and it's starting to look like you're not going to be able to avoid divorce. The writing is on the wall when something bad and unavoidable is absolutely going to happen. And today on Disclosure, we're going to find out where that expression actually comes from. That expression, the writing on the wall, is more than 2,600 years old, and it comes from one of the most remarkable stories in the Bible, a story found in Daniel chapter 5. And that's what we're going to do today in our series on Daniel. You're listening to Disclosure. My name is Sean Boonstra. I'm in studio with the lovely and talented... Gene Boonstra, and uh, really the brains of this operation. I'm glad you're in here. Well, you really <laughs> are the brains of this operation. <laughs> now, I, I do find it interesting, though, you know, male and female brains. There's a good reason God puts us together, because <laughs> there is no way that our brains operate in the same way. Oh, no, definitely not. No, not at all. But when you put those two together, there is a completeness that yeah, happens. Yeah, you complement each other. That's exactly right. Do. <laughs> and, and, and And you complement each other because you're always right and I'm always wrong. And so that we works. get both perspectives, the right perspective and the wrong perspective. <laughs> I would have never said that in the first you know week of marriage, but 25 years in, I know. Yeah, you know the game. Now. I'm wrong. You know what to say. No matter how right I am, I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, stop. Okay, no. Uh, we're in... I think we're calling it Decoding Daniel. Is that the name of the series in there in the control booth? I think Decoding Daniel. Mm -hmm. And what we're really doing is reading the whole book of Daniel together. This is the book that actually made a believer out of me. This is the book that cemented in my mind that God must be real and the gospel story must be true. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what we're doing is going through Daniel eh, roughly one verse at a time. I can't say that we we stop at every single verse because of the constraints of time. Um, but we are going through the whole book of Daniel. Now, if you've missed the first six sessions of this series, that's not a problem. I can catch you up. All you have to do is visit our website at voiceofprophecy.com, or I think you can go to iTunes too, can't you? Yeah, Are absolutely. we in iTunes? Mm -hmm. Look for Disclosure in iTunes, Disclosure from the Voice of Prophecy, mm -hmm. except no other program called Disclosure. I don't think there are any, but if there are, you want the one from the Voice of Prophecy. Uh, and what will happen in just a few short hours of listening and reading your Bible, I think you'll become... I, I, it sounds boastful, but you'll become the foremost expert of the book of Daniel living in your house. Yeah, How about absolutely. That? Oh, I absolutely. think you would. We're going to go that, mm -hmm. or at least you'll know more than your dog does. You know, <laughs> at that, you'll know more about Daniel than your dog does. That's or a you'll, safe guarantee, You'll know more Sean. than maybe you knew five minutes ago. How about mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Okay, just before we pick up that study uh, in Daniel, Gene, why don't you tell us what's new and wonderful in the world of quality children's programming. Here comes a shameless plug. Here you go. <laughs> go shamelessly plug your program. Oh. Well, Disclosure is one of the programs um, created by The Voice of Prophecy. And it's the flagship. It's the best Absolutely. of them. Absolutely. Yeah, no. it, yeah, it's the flagship. It rules over all the other programs. Uh, okay. But what's your program? <laughs> wow. <laughs> With that rousing setup. Mm -hmm. um, no. Um, Sean, I know you've been very supportive of the new program that we've created called Discovery Mountain. Discovery Mountain. Yeah, even though I only have a tiny bit part. Well, you could have a bigger part I've delivered if you six, so busy. In six seasons, I delivered two lines. That's not true. Okay. You delivered a lot more than that. Three. But um, Discovery Mountain is, um, we're calling it our audio adventure program yep. for kids. Um, it's a half hour week. Well, there are 24 episodes per year, full episodes, but there's weekly content. Every you must week, have quite a team of content. writers behind you. 
oh, yeah, you're looking at the whole team sitting right across the table from you at the moment. Hopefully one day that will change. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, um, you know, Sean, stories are timeless, and it's a great way to study the truths of the Bible in an engaging way, in an appealing way. You know, stories are something that kids from all backgrounds can can listen to and gain a blessing from, whether they go to church every week or whether they've never gone to church. So where can somebody find this? <clears throat> DiscoveryMountain.com is, of course, the easiest way. And we are on all of the major podcast platforms like iTunes, um, several radio stations as well. So um, all that information on where to find it is at discoverymountain.com. Okay, let me ask you this. Why? Why did you create Discovery Mountain? Well, you know, um, raising our own daughters, who are now young ladies now, uh, I was always looking for that content that taught them about the Bible, Mm -hmm. um, wasn't silly, but also wasn't boring. You right, know, right. and finding that that balance of of where they could learn those timeless truths. I just discovered in an why I way. only have a bit part. Yeah, because because you're I'll either go or silly, silly or boring, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, no, you tend on the silly side, but no, we have you do a great I enjoy job, Sean. Life. You are Chaplain Simon. You know, this is this is this. Um, series is set in a small town called Discovery Mountain. And in that small town, there's a summer camp, which is uh-huh. great. And there's also a school and families. Oh, boo. And, you know, there's character That's why you get the angry stories. letters for children. Why'd you have to write a school into it? <laughs> no, the kids have fun at school. <laughs> okay. At Discovery Mountain. Now, yeah. Why would parents want their kids to listen to this? Well, you know... Um, I think parents are looking for the same kind of resources as I just described. I searched for, scoured for when our daughters were young. You know, it's something that can be used for bedtime stories. I know a lot of families use it that way, maybe use it at worship time. But, you know, I didn't just have parents of mine, Sean. I had grandparents of mine, too. Because over the years, as we've worked in ministry, I've had so many grandparents share with me how they have such a burden for their grandchildren because their children aren't taking those younger kids to church. And so even though maybe they've raised their children in the church, they see their grandchildren living almost completely secular lives. You know, and Discovery Mountain is something that grandparents can share with those kids. Yes, it's about the Bible. Yes, it... it, um, talks about those character-building lessons, those faith exercises. But kids who've grown up on secular media, we've made it engaging enough that they'll still sit down, they'll listen, and have a chance to hear about Jesus. Yeah. And you, the interesting thing is, like all of the actors are volunteer. We yeah. don't live on large budgets here. If Absolutely you're listen- not. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this pitch in there. If you're listening to Discovery Mountain and you like what you're hearing, we could use your help. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, it's an awful lot of effort to put it together. But all of the actors are uh, volunteer. Yeah. And a, a so lot, a lot of them work right here in the they office. They do. I, I tend to wander around the building and recruit freely. You listen to people <laughs> as they're making phone calls and say, yeah, I, want this, sure. I want this voice. Yeah. And so I say, can you come down to the studio and read three lines for me? And everybody pretty much agrees. Is it's there room wonderful. for a pirate in one of the episodes? Because I would love to do the pirate. Oh, dear. I uh, haven't written a pirate story yet, but maybe we'll do we that one climbing day. <laughs> Discovery Mountain. Oh, Sean. So that's a pretty good pirate, right? That's an excellent pirate. Everyone in pirate. the control booth thought that was the best pirate they've ever heard. If there's a pirate in a Bible story, if you can find me a pirate in a Bible story, I'll write oh, a script for you. How's you that know, sound? You, you know there's no pirates in the Bible. <laughs> there's piracy, but no yeah, pirates. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to amputate my leg and be a method actor and mm-hmm. actually get into the role. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's walk around much. on a peg leg for a little while. How about we keep you as Chaplain Simon? Chaplain How's Simon. How's that sound? Can, I, can it be sort of Pirate Chaplain Simon? Can um, I be the chaplain on a pirate ship? 
Oh, maybe. Actually, <laughs> maybe you could. <laughs> to, can you imagine what a job that would be? You're That's trying a to stretch. S- you're trying to you're trying to straighten out as a preacher. You're trying to straighten out a whole ship of pirates. Pirates. Wow. Yeah. All right, we probably should move on because that's going to go. Uh, well, I, I've had churches that, that kind of felt that way. Yeah, felt like you're on a pirate ship. Yeah, and I was trying mm-hmm. to straighten out the pirates. Okay, oh, it's dear. probably time to climb our own Discovery Mountain. Sure. Uh, DiscoveryMountain.com yeah. if you want your kids to have an opportunity to listen to really engaging, solidly biblical uh, stories that they will love. We hear from kids all over the world that um, that their parents won't let them listen to the next episode until they make until their beds they, and clean true. their rooms, yeah. right? And it's that engaging. Well, so. you know, uh, and Sean, I met a lady just a couple of weeks ago. She's 85 and she loves Discovery Mountain. She hasn't missed an episode. <laughs> so <laughs> really? it, it, we have tried to create something that families can listen to together. I like it. I like it. I try not to be in the studio when you're creating the whole thing, except for my part, my little tiny part. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so that I can enjoy the story too. Okay. Mm-hmm. We should probably climb Discovery Absolutely. Mountain of this discovery. If you've got a Bible at home, go get it. Um, always better to not just listen, but to follow along. And of course, if you're driving a car or operating heavy equipment or uh, doing something that requires your full attention, you know, like pushing your child on the swing or something like that, then just listen for now and mm-hmm. get the podcast and follow along later. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like seeing and hearing in order to digest the material and make it yours forever. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Daniel chapter 5, but you know, Sean, maybe I'm going to suggest here that before we jump into Daniel 5, maybe we should set the table a little bit. Um, so if people are joining us for the first time, they have a little bit of background, a little bit of context okay. for this chapter. Okay, it's a pretty good idea. In uh, Daniel chapter 5, De- Nebuchadnezzar is out of the story. He's no longer the king of Babylon the way that he was back in the first four chapters. So really quickly. Back in Daniel chapter 1, we meet Nebuchadnezzar as the man who sacks the city of Jerusalem, takes all the sacred vessels out of the temple, takes the brightest and best of God's people back to Babylon as his captives. Also in that chapter, we meet Daniel, who refuses to compromise with the Babylonian culture, Mm -hmm. and he's rewarded for his diligent lifestyle by being placed among the wise men of Babylon, the king's own high-ranking advisors. And we also saw in that episode... Uh, I think we may have spent two episodes on Daniel 1. We saw last day implications in that story where Babylon is the whole world and we're expected to live as Daniel and stand true on principle and God will enable us to shine like Daniel did. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, so Daniel stood up against this Babylonian re-education program. In Daniel chapter 2, and here's the chapter of the Bible that is really the reason I'm a Christian believer today. Mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about the future in which he sees the world's empires rise and fall in rapid succession. What he actually sees is a statue made of different metals, head of gold, chest of arms of silver, and so on, but he doesn't understand what it means. So the Chaldeans, who are magicians and soothsayers, they're called in, but they can't explain it. Yet Daniel can because the dream was inspired by God. In fact, Daniel not only interprets the dream, but he's able to tell the king what he dreamt in the first place. He mm-hmm. had no idea what it was. He had to go and pray and ask God to show him. God shows him the dream. And the whole message of Daniel 2, there is a God in heaven. That's sort of the main theme of that story. A God in heaven who directs the affairs of this world such that worldly kingdoms are eventually going to pass away, and God will establish a permanent everlasting kingdom when he comes back to take dominion over this planet. Mm, Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar rejects the dream that he just had that Babylon's going to pass away and be replaced by another kingdom. And now he makes a statue made completely out of gold instead of just a head of gold Mm -hmm. because he's the head of gold. 
So he's panicking. He refuses to accept that any other empire will come and replace his. So he creates his own version of the prophecy and rejects the notion that the Medes and the Persians, the chest of silver in the dream, mm -hmm. that the Medes and the Persians will replace his Babylonian empire. Not only does he make a substitute statue entirely of gold, but he forces his subjects to bow down and worship that statue, which Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, they refuse to do it. As a result, the king throws them in a fiery furnace, but they survive because Christ himself shows up to protect them. And we saw there's prophetic overtones there. It points forward to Revelation chapter 13, mm -hmm. where a second beast makes an image to the first beast and forces the world to bow down and worship it. And the lesson in this story is pointing forward to last day events that we are going to be expected to have to take the same stand that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Absolutely. Then we looked at Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is still refusing to accept the idea that the kingdom of God replaces everything, even though he already sort of acknowledges it twice in the previous episodes, in the mm -hmm. previous stories. He almost comes to the point of decision. But this is the ultimate showdown in Daniel 4. This is Nebuchadnezzar's last chance. And because he still thinks he's the end-all and be-all of world domination, he still can't shake the idea that he's the most important thing in the world, what God does is strike him down, and Nebuchadnezzar essentially becomes a wild animal, living in the fields for a period of seven years. This time it actually works. Nebuchadnezzar exits the Daniel narrative and chapter 4 as a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar when we get to heaven. So that's mm -hmm. four chapters of Daniel done in... Quick summary. Just under four <laughs> minutes. We could Good do... Job. What if we did the whole Bible one minute a chapter? Oh, wouldn't, that would actually be, be fascinating, wouldn't yeah. it? To go through the whole Bible and give the theme found in every chapter. So now we're going to come to Daniel chapter 5 right after the break which takes place in the last few moments of the Babylonian Empire. So grab your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 5, and I'll be right back after this. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, Where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and a second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. I hear the uh, music playing, and that means that we're back. And I was just trying to take a sip of my coconut water because my <laughs> voice is a little scratchy. Now, we don't want to endorse any particular brand of coconut water, so I'm going to hide it, and I'm going to I'll push my cough button. And you're going to take a sip of I'm going to take a sip of coconut water. Just you, you talk to the folks for a minute. I'm going to. Okay, okay. So, Sean, before the break, you summarized oh, that is good. four oh, that is good. chapters oh, of Oh, my goodness. Coconut water is just the right I thing. I don't like it. Really? Nuh-uh. I don't know. It, I know it tastes like a watered-down juice, so it's a lot yeah. better for you. It's got electrolytes. Oh, yeah. It's got it's potassium. Um, this segment of the program is not brought to you by any particular brand of coconut water. That's why I'm <laughs> shielding your eyes, 
you can actually watch this show, but I'm not going to show you the brand of coconut oil. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to take another little swig here. Mm-hmm. I got a cough button. And then we're going to get into Daniel 5. Daniel chapter 5. You summarized Daniel 1 through 4. And now we're ready for oh, Daniel 5. So goodness, put is, away the coconut water and get is, to work. That is delicious. <laughs> it's like putting a straw in a coconut. I don't know. I like that. Don't you like that? Yeah. Coconut water? Yeah, I go to no, cocoa. Not really. I, oh. I love coconut, but I'm not crazy about coconut water. Okay, Daniel 5. This takes place in the last few moments of the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar is dead, and his grandson Belshazzar is on the throne. Hmm. Now, when we get into the story, it's going to say that Nebuchadnezzar is Belshazzar's father. So, you know, maybe we should take a look at that. How do we explain that if he's actually the king's yeah, a lot grandson? Of people, a lot of people, once they really start digging into history, kind of get hung up here. Yeah. Um, this is pretty easy to explain. Nebuchadnezzar's son is a guy by the name of Nabonidus or Nabonidus, depending mm-hmm. on how you choose to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nabonidus is out in the battlefield in this story fighting wars in behalf of the kingdom of Babylon. And so what he does is place his son, Belshazzar. Uh, also has the name of Bel the God in there, if you notice. Belshazzar is on the throne. He's the grandson. So Belshazzar is really a co-regent with his father. Okay. Dad's out in the field fighting battles. Belshazzar's the active agent on the throne making the decisions. Now, critics of the Bible have often ridiculed this chapter because it calls Nebuchadnezzar Belshazzar's father. And they say, oh, see, they got it wrong. Bible mm. got it wrong. Well, that's not fair. That's just, that's an unreasonable thing to do. That's shoehorning 21st century language into a 2,600 year old text. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If you read the Bible, any of your male ancestors could be called your father. Right. So your father is your father, your grandfather is your father, your great grandfather is your father, and so on. That's why when somebody dies in the Old Testament, it says so and so slept with their fathers. fathers, Plural. plural. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. he's buried with his ancestors. Okay. So. There's another issue with Belshazzar's, though, in that critics used to say that no such person ever existed because they couldn't find him in extra-biblical or non-biblical texts. He's not mentioned anywhere else in ancient literature. So instead of adopting a position of humility, saying maybe there's something we don't know, they chose to say, well, the Bible's got it wrong. It's completely wrong. This is a made-up character. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have been so fast to say that. What we found in the historical records was a list of Babylonian kings that ended with Nabonidus and went on to mention Cyrus as the king of Persia. So everybody said, see, Cyrus after Nabonidus, there is no Belshazzar. But if they were co-regents. When (laughs) Cyrus conquers Babylon, people who have said that he conquered Nabonidus because Belshazzar was only a co-regent serving at the pleasure of his own father. So it is explained. But then, 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 in Mm -hmm. 1861, there's this guy by the name of Talbot. Okay. I think that's the name of a clothing store. Talbot. It is. Talbot. Right. Mm-hmm. Talbot, H.F. Talbot, published some ancient texts that he finds in the Moon Temple in the city of Ur. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's where Abraham originally came from. Yes. And in those tablets, there was a prayer by Nabonidus where he praises his son by the name of Belshar Uzar. Belshar Uzar or Belshazzar. And he proves to be the oldest son of the king. He's the vice regent, the man occupying his father's position inside the city of Babylon while dad is outside fighting. So once again, once again, the spade of the archaeologist has proven the biblical record to be completely accurate. Always works that way. It does. Same thing happened with the Hittites. Everybody said, ha, 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 Bible mentions Hittites. There are no Hittites. But then a guy by the name of Hugo Winkler was digging around in Turkey in 1906 and he found their capital city. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, the spade of the archaeologist has always confirmed the Bible, never mm. denied it. Yeah, very, yeah, important point. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good to clarify that. Yep. So now to the text itself, which opens, of course, 
Daniel chapter 5 with a huge feast. Yes, it does. Now, kings threw parties all the time. We read that in different places in scripture. But there was something unusual about this party because there were armies from the east that were camped right outside of the city. And they were threatening to conquer the city, Babylon. So why would the king throw a party during this kind of a crisis situation? It's a great question. It's like you know there's a a home invasion about to happen, so you decide to have Thanksgiving dinner to quiet your family. I mean, it's kind of analogous. Let's look at the text itself, okay? okay? Daniel 5, verse 1. Belshazzar, maybe we should use his original pronunciation, Belshazzar Uzar. That's a little tougher. Belshazzar, (laughs) the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. So there's that huge party that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Thousands in attendance. While he tasted the wine, verse Mm 2, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. No Jew would have drunk from those vessels. That would have been to desecrate them, right? right? But let's analyze this. Later on in the same chapter, down in verse 22, the prophet Daniel tells Belshazzar, hey, you knew the story of your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar or your father Nebuchadnezzar in the, in the old parlance. Mm-hmm. What he's essentially telling him is, Belshazzar, you should have known better, better. than this. Right. So what is the story of Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we summarized that in the, first, in the last four minutes before the last break. Right. The story of Nebuchadnezzar is the story of a Babylonian king who slowly very slowly, accepts the fact that Babylon is going to fall, and eventually all world empires will fall and be replaced with the kingdom of Christ. Mm-hmm. That is, as we mentioned you know, earlier today, that's the essence of the first four chapters. It was a well-known story in that court. Everyone knew it, including Belshazzar. Now, at this point in history, in Daniel 5, Cyrus, the Persian general, is actually camped outside the city. The Persians have arrived to conquer Babylon. The moment has come now for the chest and arms of silver in that statue in Daniel 2 to replace the head of gold. Mm. This Mm -hmm. story is the very closing chapter of Babylon's history. And Belshazzar knows it, Hmm. or at least he should have have known. If he knows the story of Nebuchadnezzar, he knew this day was coming. So what does he do? He does the same thing Nebuchadnezzar did when he first heard the news. He defies the Hebrew God, the God of Daniel, the God of Abraham. But instead of building a massive gold statue out in the desert like Nebuchadnezzar did, what he does, he throws a huge party and tells his men to go and get the sacred vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. Hmm. What he's doing, he's trying to demonstrate that the God of Israel is nothing next to the might of the Babylonian gods and the Babylonian empire. And he essentially uses, well, holy vessels as red solo party cups. That's what he does. It's difficult to read. Right. It's tough. Right. Mm-hmm. He's trying to say, well, what are you afraid of this God and his predictions for? Yeah. Don't you remember we have that God's vessels in our God's temple? Right. 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 Verse 3. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. It says had been because it was destroyed completely by Nebuchadnezzar. Right. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Hmm. Fascinating. You, you, take a look at that. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Those are mostly the elements of the statue in other Daniel than, chapter 2. Other than wood, they're all the elements. Yeah, these are the right. gods of worldly kingdoms. Yeah. These are the gods of Babylon. And in the statue of Daniel 2, they get handed on from culture to culture. The Greeks worship gods that were analogous to the Babylonian. The Romans absolutely did because they just plagiarized the Greek gods and so on. 
So they're praising their own gods. They're greater than the God of Israel. Instead of humbling himself and admitting that God is correct, he doubles down on arrogance and defies God. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Who is this God of Abraham? That's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. We all know the Babylonian gods are stronger because we conquered Jerusalem 70 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And it's probably a good object lesson for those of us living today, you know, because we also have stunning predictions for the world's future, don't we? And yet so often we choose to live as if nothing is ever going to happen in spite of the fact that every single Bible prophecy has been fulfilled right on schedule for the last 2,600 years. I was thinking the same thing. In fact, we actually have more evidence than Daniel was right than the Babylonians had because the bulk of Daniel's predictions actually happened after the fall of Babylon. Hmm. So we can look back. And uh, as you say, every single one of them has taken place right on schedule. Rise and fall of Persia, the rise and fall of Greece, the rise and fall of Rome, the rise of the Western European nations. Absolutely everything has happened exactly the way the book of Daniel predicted. And still, people will ignore an absolutely perfect track record and go back thousands of years and insist, hey, nothing's ever going to happen. Yeah, very true. You know, Sean, it reminds me of something that Paul said in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So it's found in, um, starting in verse 2 of that chapter. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should should overtake you as a thief. So essentially what it's saying is that history is absolutely going to play out the way God predicted. So there's no need to be caught by surprise when the last few moments of world history, when they begin to unfold, you know, it's been foretold. But tragically, much of the world, well, they're going to be like Belshazzar. Um, they're going to ignore the prophecies. And then when they finally come to pass, they'll be completely caught off guard. They've been so busy insisting that the world is headed for utopia. You know, we hear that so often. Yep. It's only going to get better. You know, we're progressing that the obvious is missed. Yep, that's right. You know, yeah. we, we keep thinking that we're improving the world. One of the most frustrating experiences was that as we came out of the 19th century, we said, ah, mechanization. We yeah. can figure everything out. The Industrial Revolution, the Enlightenment, it's going to solve all the world's problems. Then we went into the 20th century mm. and killed 203 million people in warfare. We had oh, the yeah. concentration yeah. camps. It was the bloodiest century in the history world of War the I, world. World War I, the war to end all yeah. wars. It didn't happen that yeah. way. So, so when you consider this idea that the, the world is actually evolving, that it's naturally getting better all on its own, mm-hmm. that the human race is improving, heading towards a better existence, well, you can see how we'd be blinded to the obvious. If we keep telling ourselves that, you miss the fact that the world is actually in a state of decline, right? not improvement. It's kind of like the, the Star Trek mentality. Hmm. Well, I, I hate to bring Star Trek into a Bible study, but here we go. right? Remember the original premise with Star Trek, all planets out there are improving and evolving, and eventually they'll become peaceful enough and smart enough and advanced enough to join the Federation. Right. Now, I did. I watched back in the 70s. I watched the original Star Trek. Um, and there was this unspoken assumption they had this rule called the prime directive. Don't interfere with them. They're going to naturally progress and evolve. Mm. And it's this unspoken assumption that actual progress is the state of all things. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. the Bible says otherwise, mm-hmm. it says we're devolving. Right. Now, our technology might be improving. You know, we've got better medicine. We're living longer. Uh, we've got more food available to more of the population. There's a lot of things that have improved. But what we're talking about here is morality. We're becoming more selfish over time, not less. We're becoming less godly, not more, and we're becoming far more wicked. From heaven's perspective, the earth is not evolving, it's devolving. devolving. Yeah, very true. Absolutely. 
And so, Sean, that brings us to the writing on the wall in right. Daniel 5. The writing on the wall, mm-hmm. an expression that goes back 2,600 years. And uh, there's going to become a moment for everybody when people suddenly realize, people, 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 not papal people, just regular people, <laughs> when people suddenly realize that the Bible was completely right. There will come a moment when we will see clear evidence that what God said is going to happen is absolutely going to happen. Prophecy will come to pass. It happened for me. I've seen it happen for tens of thousands. And maybe today it's going to happen for you. You'll see some evidence that maybe God was exactly right mm-hmm. and that the world is going exactly where God said it was going to go. I hear the music playing, which means that we have to take a quick break before we dive back into the text in Daniel. Daniel 5 and verse 5. We're looking at the writing on the wall on today's episode of Disclosure. My name is Sean Boonstrom. We'll be right back after this. Disclosure is just one of the programs brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy, like the audio adventure program Discovery Mountain. Discovery Mountain is a weekly Bible-based program for kids of all ages and backgrounds. Your family will enjoy faith-building stories with Jake Donovan, (laughs) Mr. Simon, and others in this small mountain town. Each summer, campers visit Discovery Mountain, where they sing songs, learn about God, and reenact a Bible story with the help of drama teachers, Miss Wendy and Miss Tamara. With 24 full episodes every year and programming every week, your family will have something uplifting to listen to every week. Listen to episodes on demand and watch video features from Director Doug at discoverymountain.com or on your favorite podcast platform. That's discoverymountain.com. And that means we're back from the break. Wasn't that long? I took another little sip of cocoa water. This time in the break, not on TV. <laughs> like you're because supposed to. Yeah, we don't want to give any unintentional endorsements. But coconut water is delicious. Somebody's going to write me now saying that. Don't you know that causes cancer? Mm-hmm. I know that'll come. Well, I get maybe I, oh, it's I get, pretty healthy. Though, I get some it? interesting letters sometimes. Yeah, I yeah. know you do. But yeah. once a week, I get one telling me that everything I've ever done in my whole life is wrong. Yeah, only once a week. Only once a week, okay. though. That's not too bad. It's I know a lot bad. of I know a lot of people who work <laughs> in media that they get a lot more than that. So yeah, sort of part yeah. of that. How dare you landscape. drink coconut water on the air? Well, it's because it's delicious and it's restoring my potassium levels. There you go. <laughs> it's better. It's an easier way to get your potassium than a banana. You ever had banana juice? Oh, yeah, no. I know exactly. You just mentioned banana Yuck. juice. Nobody juices bananas because <laughs> you know it'll be brown and sludgy and slimy. They, they're working smoothies, not so much in juicing. No, not so mm-hmm. much. Okay, Daniel five verse five. Okay, okay the writing on the wall. So Belshazzar's throwing this massive party, if you're just joining us, because Cyrus is outside mm-hmm. and Cyrus is about to conquer the country or the city, rather. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't believe that the old prophecies are, that were given to Nebuchadnezzar are true. Verse five, in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So here's mm-hmm. what you have. In the middle of the party, this severed bloodless hand. I don't know that it was bloodless, but it doesn't mention blood. This severed disembodied hand appears in the air and it begins to write words on the wall. If you're watching in the studio, I was trying to write on the wall with my <laughs> pen and act that out. Yeah. Uh, it's writing. It's literally the writing on the wall. That's literally, where this where expression this comes, comes from, from. right? Yep. I don't know about you, but that would get my attention. I, th- I think so. You're, it's you're, hard to miss that. Right. You're at a family dinner and a hand appears and starts writing on a wall. You as a mom, it would know. bother you that it's writing on the wall. <laughs> 
me as a less so that like, it was disembodied, disembodied in writing. <laughs> right now, verse six, mm-hmm. right, it gets his attention. Then Definitely. the king's countenance changed. The look on his face, you know, the pride is gone, the boasting is gone, the party's over. Mm-hmm. His countenance changed. His thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened. And his knees knocked against each other. I can't read that without laughing Terrified. because we've all been there at some point. Oh, yes. Now, now mm-hmm. here's where the story gets really, really interesting because it was predicted in some detail more than 100 years previously over in the book of Isaiah. Yeah. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But one thing everybody knew in Belshazzar's day, at least up to the moment the hand appeared, mm-hmm. Babylon was unconquerable. The people who lived inside that city enjoyed a huge degree of security. We mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it was in this episode where mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar underwent a... No, no, that, that was, was in, another what, episode. In Daniel 4. So he yeah. had really fortified the city. The walls were huge, yeah. and there's no The way. river there ran were, right in through under the wall. Yeah. According mm-hmm. to some historical sources, there was a triple-lined wall surrounding the city, too thick for anybody to dig through, too high for anybody to go over. They're perfectly secure. There was an ancient historian by the name of Herodotus. Mm-hmm who described it like this. I brought it in today. This is from his Histories, Volume 1. Okay. Such is the size of the city of Babylon, he wrote. This is really old. This is thousands of years ago. Such is the size of the city of Babylon, and it had a magnificence greater than all other cities of which we have knowledge. For there runs around it a trench deep and broad and full of water, and then a wall 50 royal cubits in thickness and 200 cubits in height. Now, the royal cubit is larger by three fingers than the common cubit. <laughs> no, he's, he's pretty detailed yeah, and precise. Specific. Let's do the math. Yeah. A cubit is the distance from your elbow to your fingertips. Okay. Or at least the distance from my elbow to yeah, my fingertips. Yeah, I was going to say, because, that varies yeah, it, significantly. It varies. About, it's roughly 18 inches. <laughs> okay. okay. On a man, I Roughly, assume. roughly, Probably. roughly. But these, th- there's another three fingers. So let's give them really fat fingers. Okay. Another three inches? Ah, that might be too generous. But if, let's say it's 20 inches, you know, you, another two inches through three fingers, mm-hmm. uh, 20 inches, whatever, 21 inches. The wall was 50 cubits thick. Wow. So a standard cubic would make it 75 feet thick. And right. if it's a royal cubit, it would be like almost 85 feet thick. Yeah. It's a pretty thick that's wall. That's a <laughs> substantial wall, definitely. 200 cubits high would be well over 300 feet. Wow. Right. Yeah. The, I think the CN Tower is... I don't know what it is. From the, the, the viewing platform to the sidewalks, like 1,100 feet, something like that. Okay. But this is over 300 feet. Mm-hmm. So even if Herodotus is exaggerating to sort of impress his audience, mm-hmm. uh, and historians did that sometimes. They weren't always the most precise. But by the time he's getting down to three fingers, I tend to think that he's precise. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is it's huge and it's impenetrable. It's mm-hmm. impossible. You can't mm-hmm. take it. From what we can tell, or at least according to ancient stories that have been handed down, they had 20 years worth of food stored inside the city. They had the Euphrates River running right under the wall into the city, so they had all the water they needed forever yeah, and ever and ever. Water. Right. Mm-hmm. So some people say the Babylonians were so confident, there's old records that they were standing on the walls, taunting the Persians and throwing food off, saying, hey, we got 20 years worth. Wow. Take our extras. Wow. <laughs> Which makes sense that the Book of Revelation uses Babylon as a symbol for last day arrogance, unwanted confidence, uh, unwarranted confidence, really. Um, in Revelation 18, spiritual Babylon, the world of the last days, you know, keeps telling herself that nothing bad's ever going to happen. So it's that same false sense of confidence. Um, Revelation 18, verse 7, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Yeah, how many of us do that, right? Right. 
right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at least up until middle age when you realize, oh, I'm not as undefeatable as I thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. You, you realize you think you're infallible yeah. when you're in your 20s. There, there's no question that what happened to the ancient city of Babylon is meant to be a warning for us, an object lesson for those of us who might be tempted to defy God like Belshazzar's doing. Mm-hmm. Babylonians had been told that Cyrus was coming. They knew it. Mm-hmm. And we've been told that Jesus is coming. And the story of how Cyrus conquers Babylon makes it really clear that it's meant to foreshadow last day events. Yeah, for sure. But how so? Okay, on his way to Babylon, Cyrus loses his favorite horse while crossing the Gindes River. He had a favorite white horse. At least it was one of his favorites. And they're crossing the Gindes River, which is way up north from the city of Babylon. He's on his way to Babylon. The current's just too deep and fast, and his horse slips out from under him, and it drowns. Mm. I don't know if he was riding it, but Mm -hmm. it drowns. Okay. So he decided, before I go to Babylon, he's angry, I'm going to conquer this river first. So that, you know, my grandmother can cross it. Okay. And, or maybe he said my mother, whatever. He said a woman can cross it without getting her knees wet when I'm going to be done with it. Mm. So what he does is he digs 180 channels. He stops all of his soldiers, dig 180 channels on either side of the river, 360 channels in all. Wow. And that lowers the water table in the river until it was ankle deep. Hmm. And of course, that gave him the inspiration for what happened when he got to Babylon, didn't it? Exactly. At some point, he notices as he's approaching Babylon, there's an old channel, an old dried up channel, you know, sort of bending off of the Euphrates River, and it leads to a swamp. What it was was an old canal dug by an ancient Babylonian king. I believe her name was Necrotus. Okay. And she was an ancient queen of Babylon who engineered the flow of the Euphrates River such that in one village, it actually went through town three times. She just steered it and steered it and steered it. She <laughs> had her engineers play with this thing. And at one point, she thought, you know what? I like sailing, and there's nowhere to sail out here on the plains of Dura. So she diverts the Euphrates into this sort of ancient shallow lake bed and fills it up as a sailing. Now, that dried up years ago. It's just a swamp. But Cyrus comes by, sees the swamp in the ancient channel. So he knows I can't go over the wall. I'll never knock it down. So he diverts the Euphrates into that ancient lake bed. And the water table in the river drops until there's a highway right under the walls of the Babylonian city. Wow. Yeah. And then, of course, when he gets inside, there are walls along the river as well with locked gates. Um But on that particular day, all the gates were left hanging open, unlocked. Um, Everyone was drunk at Belshazzar's party, weren't they? Someone forgot to do their job and locked those gates. And here's the amazing part. The details of how Cyrus took the city were all predicted by the prophet Isaiah before Cyrus was born, like more than 100 years. And this has got to be one of the most astonishing passages anywhere in the Bible because you can't get this right by accident. Mm. This starts, this is in Isaiah 44. This starts with God promising Israel that they will return to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild it, which is what actually happened after the Persians conquered Babylon. Okay, verse 26 of Isaiah 44. Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places. Hmm. So when you get to Daniel 9, you'll see this is a key thought. Jeremiah had predicted that uh, Israel was going to be in captivity 70 years. We're coming down to the end of that here. And when Babylon is conquered, they all get to go home as promised. Now, here comes the amazing part, verse 27. Who says to the deep, be dry and I will dry up your rivers. How did Cyrus enter the city? By drying up the river. Hmm. So when the book of, of uh, Revelation says that the Euphrates River will be dried up in the last days, it's probably a reference back to the right. story, isn't Revelation it? chapter 16 under yeah. the sixth plague, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. It tells us that the last day world of spiritual Babylon is going to fall exactly the way that literal Babylon did. It's okay. a predicted thing, and yet it comes as a surprise to the people living inside the city because they don't believe it's ever going to happen. Yeah. Now listen to this, because this is the part written before Cyrus was born, Isaiah 44, verse 28. Who says of who? 
Cyrus. It just named him. His name More is than 100 there. years before he was born. Mm-hmm. He is my shepherd. My mm-hmm. what? Shepherd. Who's known as a shepherd in the Bible? Well, Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. He shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. Mm-hmm. So he's the one who's going to release the Israelites. Now the language of chapter 45 gets very specific. Verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his what? Hmm. Anointed. Right. To his anointed to Cyrus. Cyrus. That word anointed in the original language is Mashiach. Ah. It's Messiah. literally Messiah. Messiah. That's right. Yeah. Not because Cyrus is the Messiah, not right, the right. Messiah, but because God is using him as a symbol to illustrate what Jesus will eventually do for all of us. Mm. Cyrus liberates God's people so they can go back to the promised land. And then when Jesus comes, he liberates all of us from spiritual Babylon and brings us to the heavenly promised land. This is a story that foreshadows the second coming, right? Thus says, verse 1 again, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, Mashiach, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double door so that the gates will not be shut. Ooh. And there you have a reference to the fact that the gates along the river were hanging open, those double gates, when Cyrus marched into the exactly. city. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice how it says that he would loose the armor of kings. That's yeah. actually kind of an ancient euphemism. Okay. It appears because a lot of translators have rendered it, kings will be paralyzed with fear. Mm. Or I will loose the loins of kings, make them weak in the knees, which is okay. exactly what we read happened to Belshazzar yeah. when he sees the writing on the wall. Yeah. Now it says in verse six of Daniel chapter five, his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against, against each, other. each other. Even that was predicted more than a hundred years before Cyrus right, was right. born. Which of course brings us back to Daniel right, five. Back in. Okay. Verse seven. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. Hmm. Sound familiar? Yeah. That's exactly what Daniel Nebuchadnezzar two. did twice. Yeah. He calls for the Chaldeans mm-hmm. after the dream of chapter 2, again in Daniel chapter 4. four. Mm-hmm. Right. By the end of the story, though, Nebuchadnezzar had learned his lesson. But Belshazzar, the grandson, starting all over again. He's completely Babylonian. Interesting. The king yeah. spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing. Or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed. And his lords were astonished. Let me make Mm. one little observation there. Mm -hmm. Right. The next generation always starts again. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the lesson. Calls the Chaldeans twice. Finally learns the lesson by the end of chapter 4. But now in chapter 5, when he sees this mysterious and miraculous thing, Belshazzar calls for the Chaldeans again. Completely Babylonian. But he's the next generation. He's the next generation. And so God has no grandkids. Every generation has to claim God for themselves. You don't inherit Mm -hmm. your father's salvation. Every individual, too. We're actually kind of witnessing that now. Here comes a political statement. But I see young people under the age of 18 calling for socialism in the Western world. But they don't remember what the last generation learned in the 20th century, that that killed more, you know, killed tens and tens of millions of people, and that it wasn't a solution for the world's problems. But I see the next generation calling for it again. Well, they didn't live through that history. That's exactly right. That's the difference. Belshazzar did kind of listen to that history. He kind of did know about it, but he's ignoring it. The next generation starting from scratch. And in this world, every generation starts from scratch with an understanding of God. It's Mm. a frustrating thing, Hmm. but it's true. We all come to Jesus on our own terms, in our own way, and we have to find our own personal. I hear the music again, which means that before we finish this story, we do have to take one more quick commercial break. I'll get another little sip of coconut water, and then we'll be right back. Are you 
searching for answers to life's toughest questions, like where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Does my life really matter to God? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Here comes the fourth segment of the program. We were just talking about the fact that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way and went through four chapters of the book of Daniel, calling for the Chaldeans being disappointed. Belshazzar just called for the Chaldeans when the writing is on the wall. He hasn't learned his grandfather's lesson. So this is the third time, actually, that the wise men of Babylon have been stumped by something Hmm. God did. He he confounds them. He doesn't allow them to understand it. This is the third time that these Chaldeans have found themselves powerless in the face of Israel's God. And we know that at least some people remember the stories of Daniel in this occasion because there's an old queen present who knows exactly what happened the first two times the Chaldeans got called. So she calls... Uh, in she gets called in to tell the king what she knows. Verse 10. This is Daniel 5. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Hmm. Now, you Mm -hmm. notice this Babylonian queen, um, if she's the one I'm thinking of. We don't really know who she is. She might have been Nebuchadnezzar's wife. If if she's the one that I'm thinking of, she might be the one who actually came from Persia and asked for a mountain. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But this Babylonian queen knows about the one true God, and that makes me suspect that she was Nebuchadnezzar's wife because he went to his grave professing that God. Kind of makes sense. She's probably the Persian princess that he married. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in the days of your father, she continues, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. That's Daniel. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, for he will give the interpretation. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that she knows Daniel's Babylonian name? She uses it. And then probably that, you know, that's because that's what the Babylonians were still calling Daniel. But then this queen switches to calling him Daniel. Um, maybe, I'm guessing, she preferred that Hebrew name because Daniel's name means God is my judge. Yeah, it is interesting that's that she name. brings up the Babylonian name. And begins in Belshazzar's name. court yeah. and then suddenly switch to God is my judge because that yeah. is absolutely what's going on in this story. Yeah. It's a great point. Really, the existence of this queen is clear evidence that Belshazzar has no excuse. Yeah. Right? There's no reason for this young co-regent to go down in flames this way. I imagine if he would have been cooperative that maybe he could have retired in style somewhere after the Persians came. I mean, that's happened. That's what happened to kings who cooperated. They got mm-hmm. a palace somewhere. If you promise to go away, we'll leave you alive. Mm-hmm. But no, mm-hmm. no, no. He's stubborn. He's ignorant. He's willfully ignorant. He chose to ignore the prophecies. And now the moment has come. Ah, 
You know, and of course, there's no reason for our generation to end up lost either. Almost all of us have access to the scriptures. I mean, so few of us do not. Um, we all have the ability to know what's coming. And really, there's no good reason to end up on the wrong side of the second yeah, coming partic- is there. Particularly no in our generation. Yeah. I mean, Bibles are virtually free. Yeah. They're online. There's no need to not know what Put it says. Put one on your device for yeah, free. And if you don't know what the mm-hmm. Bible says, sign up for the Discover Bible School, voiceofprophecy.com. Just go there. Yeah. We'll give you a free Bible school. There's no excuse. Okay, let's finish the story because we're going to run out of time. Will you do every week? Always. <laughs> yeah. Verse 13. Then Daniel was, this is Daniel 5. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel, who hmm. is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? Hmm. He can't help himself, right? He still has to get in a little dig. You're a servant, aren't you? A captive? Yeah. I've heard of you. Aha. (laughs) There it is. He knows better. He does. I have heard of you, verse 14, that the Spirit of God is in you. Now, that might be just from the queen who mentioned that, or he might actually know the story. The The whole text seems to indicate that he either should have known better or did know better. Right. Because he's throwing the party to defy the God of Israel. Sure. Okay. I've heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. All right. Verse 15. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. Hmm. Again, a repeat of Daniel chapter 2. Still happening today, by the way. The prognosticators, the psychics, the soothsayers, the futurists, they're powerless in the face of God. Mm -hmm. Bible prophecy's always gotten it right, and we've always gotten it wrong. Verse 16. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain Enigmas. Mm, Enigmas mysteries. are ministries. Yeah, remember the yeah. Enigma machines that the Germans made from scrambled from code. World War II. Yeah, to, it's yep. a scramble code. Yep, yep. Now, if you read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. It's kind of a pointless promise, don't you think? I mean, the kingdom is going to collapse in a, just a couple of minutes. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But hey. Verse 17, Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gift be for yourself. <laughs> he, he doesn't want he, he it He probably either. didn't say it in that tone. Hey, take your gift and shove it. <laughs> that's, probably, so. that's probably not the tone he used. Daniel was nicer than me. Okay. Yes. I, your, kind, I kindly um, regret to accept okay. your gift. Let your gift be for yourself. <laughs> okay. And give your rewards to another. Mm-hmm. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Now, that's one of the big points in the book of Daniel. God allows human kingdoms to come and go. Right. The only reason Babylon rose to prominence is because God allowed it, and God was also planning to disallow it, and that moment has come. In the book of Daniel, you have this march of kingdoms that stretches from the wickedness of Israel's ancient kings all the way down to the second coming and the kingdom of Christ. See, the the nation of Israel was never supposed to have a human king, but they begged for one. See, way back when, we all rejected the government of God. And because God doesn't force people, he gave us what we were asking for. And the Israelites asked for a human king. By the end of 2 Chronicles 36, those Israelite kings had become so wicked that God describes them with words like abomination. And because Mm -hmm. of them, the temple ends up desolate. It was literally the abomination of desolation or the abomination that causes desolation. And this is a key point because it was the sins of God's own people that led to the abomination of desolation, the desolate temple. That's something we really need to pay attention to because the Bible predicts 
well, a last day abomination yes. of desolation. Mm-hmm. And everybody these days seems to be going out there looking for an external candidate. Who's this horrible man who's going to be so anti-religious? Mm. But in every single case in the Bible, in the Old Testament, from the Philistines taking the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel 4, to the sack of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, to the sack of Jerusalem by Titus the Roman general in AD 70, in every single case, it's the sins of God's own people that led to the desolation. Yeah. It's our yeah. abomination. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason to believe that the last day abomination of desolation will be any different. Bible prophecy describes an internal problem. It describes the sins of God's own people, the rejection of God's government, the installation of our own religious government, the marriage of church and state. Those are the big issues in Bible prophecy. Okay, back to Daniel chapter 5, verse 19. Okay. Clock's ticking, right? (laughs) Because of the majesty that he gave him, that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. (laughs) <laughs> whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. Wow. Now we get a quick recap of Daniel 4, where Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by God. Okay? okay, Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was mm. deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. Mm. They fed him with grass and like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until... He knew the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men and appoints it over whomever he chooses. chooses. Yeah. So just in case anybody's of the opinion that world history is accidental, pay attention. Right? God allows kingdoms and governments to come and go. doesn't mean they're all good. It just means that God mm-hmm. allows He's in them. control. Yeah. He's in control. Mm-hmm. And so... It, it, He's, I don't think he's informing Belshazzar here so much as reminding him of the history. Mm, okay. Because God holds you accountable for what you know, not for what you don't know. You find that principle in Acts 17, I think, verse 31. In the times of ignorance, God winks. Right. But when you know, he expects you to repent. Right. Verse 22. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although, here it comes, although you knew all this. Oh, there so it is. He knew, no He excuse. absolutely knew. He's wow. confronting him with what he knew. And you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Mm -hmm. They've brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Mm -hmm. And the God who holds your breath in his hand. I like that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And notice there's only one source of life in this universe. Right. That's the reason we worship God. Revelation 4, verse 11 says the reason we worship God is because he created all things. He's the source of everything. Mm-hmm. He alone is creator, and he alone gives us life. He holds our breath mm. in his hands. And the reason that we still linger to this moment is he's waiting for us to come home and become a part of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. He holds your breath in his hands. The God who holds your breath in his hand, verse 23, and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Mm. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Meany, meany, tekel, you farson. That's what's written on the wall. Yeah. This is the interpretation of each word. Meany, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Yeah. He's saying, look, there's someone watching your whole life from heaven and weighing it in the balances. You are not a biological accident. Your existence actually means something, and your decisions count for something in this universe. Belshazzar, you're here for a reason. God has given you everything that you have for a reason, and you've been weighed. Tekel, or uh, meany, you've been numbered. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's verse 27. Now, that's about the last thing you want to hear from the voice of mm. God. 
right? Yes. You don't want to be come weighed by God and come up short. Mm-hmm. There's been a there's a much better alternative. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, yes. God says, "Well done, good and faithful servant. Yes. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter mm-hmm. into the joy of your Lord." Nice. You don't have with Jesus. You ba- the the balances are balanced in your favor. Mm-hmm. On your own, you lose. Mm-hmm. Verse 28. Perez. So mini mini tekel. Perez, or you Farson, depending on the version you're reading. Mm-hmm. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It's actually a play on words. Perez, or you Farson, means divided, but it's also got the name of the Persians right in it. Interesting. That's yeah. a play on words. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is, look, the moment has finally come. The head of gold is going to be replaced by the chest and arms of silver. The winged lion of Daniel 7 is getting replaced by the Persian bear with three ribs in its mouth. The prophecy's true, and it's the end of the road right here. Verse 29, Belshazzar gave the command... And they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck. I know he didn't want it. No, he didn't want it. I know he didn't want it. But And made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Huh. Now, you'll notice there are occasions where the world will recognize your godly character. They're going to notice the superiority of a life lived for God. And they might try to offer you rewards, but the rewards are kind of pointless, right? Yeah. Because verse 30, why is it pointless? That very night... Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, Hmm. and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So Cyrus is the Persian general who does it. Darius is the—the Medes and the Persians are a coalition government. Darius Mm -hmm, sits on mm -hmm, the throne, mm -hmm. and so he gets everything because of Mm -hmm. Cyrus the Persian general. A remarkable, remarkable account of God's leading, God being in control of human governments, prophecy unfolding. What are our takeaways from well, this? There's, there's a, a there's, lot here. Yeah, there's so much, and we got two minutes. But here, here's one. You know, the world is going to offer you rewards, and you might think, "Ooh, third in command over the whole planet—that would be awesome." What's the point when it's going when to collapse? No planet. Wouldn't you yeah. rather be a co-heir with Jesus Christ, oh, who sits amen. on the throne forever and ever? Mm. Uh, some other takeaways: God always gives you the information you need to do the right thing. Hmm. Doesn't leave us in the dark. Mm-hmm. We saw clearly in verse 22 today. Belshazzar knew the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And we all have the information we need for what's coming. Mm -hmm. Another takeaway. The reason God discloses what we need to know is because he cares about us. There's no other reason to do it. He's not trying to lose us. He's trying to save Belshazzar. He saved Nebuchadnezzar in the end, and he's trying to save you. He's not trying to destroy you. He informs you because he wants you in the kingdom. Another takeaway. We all have a God-given purpose. Nebuchadnezzar had something that Absolutely. God wanted him to do, and Belshazzar did too. Or you, he's not punishing them for no reason. They were supposed to fulfill his will. Uh, yeah. There's something God expects you to do with the resources and talents that he's given you. Yes. And everything you need to know to live a truly meaningful life is found in the pages of the Bible. Uh, another takeaway, we can know absolutely for sure that what God has promised is going to happen. Bible prophecy is completely reliable. This story is full of prophetic things that happened exactly on schedule. Absolutely everything in the book of Daniel has happened exactly the way that it was supposed to, right on time. And that's a pretty good indicator that everything else in Bible prophecy is probably also going to end right on time. Mm-hmm. And that tells me there's no need to be unprepared or to be caught by surprise. We right. have everything we know. Here's the bottom line. God labors with people long. The Bible says God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Peter writes that. And we have all the information we need to find our way into perfect fulfillment, perfect joy, perfect peace in the kingdom of Christ. There's no reason not to miss it. God's given you an entire book full of information, and there really is an answer to your deepest problems in there in Jesus Christ. To avoid it means to have the end of Babylon come on you by surprise, but there's no need for it. Half this world will mourn when Babylon falls and half of it rejoice because Jesus has come. Which side of that equation do you find yourself on? 